0: Well, good morning, everybody. How y'all doing this morning? Good, man. As usual, a rousing response. Um, we are very excited about the, uh, about the gospel minimums. Those are some resources that we have not uh, created or that originate with us, but that we've just compiled as tools for you. So we hope that they're helpful. If they're not, let us know. We can work on them and tweak them. Um, but the resources in, in paper are all out in the lobby and we've also got all of those online um, at orchardhillschurch.org resources. So those are for you um, as we are on this journey together of learning to be disciples who make disciples just like Jesus did. Well, hey, I am excited about what I have to share today. Um, the things that we are going to see in Joshua chapter 21 um, really connect in, in a really sweet way to what... We read in our Advent readings to what the Lord's been doing among us. And I've just been really, really encouraged by this passage this week. And so I hope that that I'm able to communicate that to you. We're going to do some digging and make some connections to the New Testament. But if you haven't been with us, we've been going through the book of Joshua. And this book comes at a very pivotal time in the history of God's people, Israel. Um, 600 years before this book, God calls one man named Abraham. And he says, Abe, listen here, bud. Um, I am going to give you a lot of land, and I'm going to give you numerous descendants. And through them, I'm going to undo the curse of sin and bless the whole world. Sounds pretty great. But then Abraham ends up only having one child through his wife Sarah and dies with a very small piece of land. So what happened? Did the promises of God fail. Well, there's more to the story. Years later, um, Abraham's grandson Jacob has 12 sons, and they, through a crazy uh, set of circumstances, end up living in Egypt. Um, And there, they prosper, they multiply. Uh, They have kids, and their kids have kids, and they grow to be a numerous people, but uh, they become enslaved to the Egyptians. And so God raises up a deliverer named Moses. Moses leads them out of Egypt through the Red Sea to Um, into the wilderness, into the edge of what is called the promised land, that land that God promised to Abraham all those years before. And so now the book of Joshua tells the story of those 12 sons and their tribes of people, um, the Israelites, as they enter into this land that God has promised. And so in the first section, we saw them entering the land. In that next section, we saw them, uh, their conquest in the land and defeating their enemies. And in this section that we're wrapping up today, this third part, um, we see them taking possession of the land. Uh, So they have divided it all up. They've each gotten a portion. And now the last order of business to attend to is this one tribe of people who didn't get any land called the Levites. And that's who we're going to look at today. And today we're going to ask this question What can you count on? What can you depend on? What is is solid ground on which to build your life? We've all tried lots of different things, probably. Is it your spouse, your family, your heritage, your country? your money, your bank account, your job, um, or probably our favorite, yourself. And as we look at the Levites and this chapter's summary of all that God has been doing in Joshua, this is what I want us to, to see and to believe and to walk away with today. There is only one firm foundation on which to build your life. And that firm foundation is the promises of God. There is nothing else. There is nothing else that you can depend on for both now and for eternity. Let's pray, and and we'll dive in together. Well, Lord Jesus, you are the faithful and the true one. Uh, What I'm saying here is is nothing new. This is what we've sung about today. This is what we've read about in your word already. Um, And so, Lord Jesus, we just want to be uh, reminded of this beautiful truth, and we want it to affect us. And so, Holy Spirit, would you take your word and use it, how you said that you use it, to pierce to our hearts, to show us who we are and what we believe, and to show us who you are and the beauty of your faithfulness. Lord, I pray that all of us would be moved to trust you in greater ways in our life today. Lord, we give you this time and ask that you would work in our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, we are in Joshua 21 today. Um, If you don't have a Bible, this is on page 227 of the Bibles that are there in front of you in the pews. Also, if you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to take one of those home. That is our gift to you, and we would love for you to have that. This is Joshua 21, uh, starting with the first three verses. It says, Then the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites came to Eleazar the priest, and to Joshua the son of Nun, And to the heads of the fathers' houses of all the other tribes of the people of Israel. And they said to them at Shiloh, in the land of Canaan, The Lord commanded through Moses that we be given cities to dwell in, along with their pasture lands for our livestock. So, by command of the Lord, the people of Israel gave to the Levites the following cities and pasture lands out of their inheritance." So a few Sundays back in in Joshua chapter 13, Scott shared about this tribe, the Levites, and how they didn't get any inheritance in the land uh, because they were this this picture for the rest of the Levites of the Lord himself being their inheritance. But they did still have to live somewhere. Um, And so uh, God had previously commanded in, um, in Deuteronomy 18 and in Numbers 35 that they be given cities to live in along with the other people. And so... In this passage, the Levites come to Joshua, they come to Eleazar, who's the high priest, he's the son of Aaron, and they say, hey, give us what God said we could have. He said it, we're going to claim it. And so here we have our first point about the promises of God. Number one, the promises of God must be taken hold of. The promises of God must be taken hold of. Notice that the Levites don't just sit back and wait for something to happen. They step forward. They speak up and they say, hey, God said that we could have this. God God told us that this would happen. We're going to take hold of it. We're going to claim it today. And I believe that we are invited to do the same. You all God has promised us so much, but so often we fail to step up and to say, hey, Lord, you promised me this. You said that you would be here. You said that you would do this and then take hold of it. Why is that? Why do we fail To claim his promises? Well, I think part of it is this. In order to take hold of God's promises, you have to know what they are. In order to take hold of his promises, you have to know what they are. You and I need to know what God has promised us, and we need to know what God has not promised us. The Levites knew that God had not promised them land, and so they didn't ask for it. But they did know that He had promised them a place to live, a roof over their heads. So they stepped up and they claimed His promise. They took hold of it. They knew what God had promised them. And so the question for us today then is, do you know what God has promised you? Not anyone else, but you. Do you know what God has promised you? I believe that many of us followers of Jesus lack power and we lack endurance in our lives because we are expecting God to do things for us that he has never promised. And because we are not believing and claiming the things that he has promised us. Let's talk about this a little bit. Um, let's, Let's look at a few things that God has not promised us. God has not promised you an easy life free from suffering not in there. God has not promised you all the answers. That's a tough one for me. God has not promised you that loving people would be easy. Just join a church, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) God has not promised you wealth or comfort or convenience. God has not promised you freedom from the presence of sin or temptation in this life. God has not promised us these things. And so why do we expect them? Now let's talk about what God has promised us. God has promised you that you will suffer if you're living for Jesus. But even though we're promised suffering and temptation, God has promised that all things will work together for good for those who love him and who are called according to his purposes. God has promised us power to do all that He's asked us to do. We don't have to do it on our own. He promises us that power. God has promised to provide for all of your needs. God has promised you forgiveness of your sins in Jesus. God has promised you freedom from the power of sin in this life and freedom, finally, from the presence of sin in the life to come. And God has promised to finish the good work that he began in you and to make you fully and finally who you were meant to be. That's good news, y'all. That's a lot of good promises. And so we need to know what God has promised and take hold of these things. Because if we don't, we are, we are setting ourselves up to be disappointed with false expectations of God. And when we have these false expectations, we'll be totally disappointed and disenchanted when God doesn't follow through on things that he never told us he was going to do. And if we don't know his promises, then we're robbing ourselves of the power and the faith to believe and obey and to do what he's called us to do. Y'all, God has given us so many promises in this book. So many. They fill its pages. And so if, if... Maybe this Thanksgiving you were struggling and you're struggling to be thankful. Then maybe it's because you don't know the promises. I know that often in my life, the times when I am frustrated and grumpy and unhappy, it's when I'm expecting God to do things that he hasn't promised. And when I'm not looking to what he has promised and holding on to it. Y'all, God has given us so much. He has done so much for us in the past. He is currently doing so much for us in the present. And He has promised to do so much more for us in the future. And we can trust Him. There is a lifetime supply of reasons to be thankful, of reasons to trust Him. And yet we wallow in our frustrations, in our our false expectations of who He is or what He should do. Church, let's leave those things behind today and hold on to the good promises of God. All right, let's keep moving. Now, for the sake of time, I am not going to read the next 39 verses. I'm just going to summarize them. Um, So you're welcome. Um, In these verses, Joshua and uh, the people of Israel do exactly what the Levites said. So it's mostly just a list of 48 cities that God commanded the the people of Israel to give to the Levites out of their different tribes, and they did it. Um, And so those next verses just list them doing that. Um, So they were given these places to live in the city. They were given some pasture lands for their flocks. Um, But unlike the other Israelites, they were not given land to farm or to earn an income from. They had to live off of the tithe of their other uh, fellow Israelites, much like those of us who work in the church do today. Um, It is also worth noting in these verses um, that those six cities of refuge that we talked about last week that people could flee to and find safety, um, those also were Levite cities, every one of them. So let's take a second real quick to talk a little bit more about who the Levites were and what they did. Um, While all of Israel was in the wilderness for 40 years with Moses, the Levites were chosen to have the honor of serving with the priest at the tabernacle. So the tabernacle was this tent where God's presence was, where sacrifices were offered. Um, It was, yeah, just kind of the center of God's presence in the middle of the people, in the middle of their camp. And so around the tabernacle is where the Levites camped. And then out around them was where the rest of the people of Israel camped. Um, And so the Levites had two roles. They were to both serve in the worship of God at the tabernacle, and they were to guard the tabernacle and guard the people of Israel from approaching God in a wrong way. So they were servants and they were guardians. So now that Israel is in the land, they've got the tabernacle set up at this permanent place in Shiloh, which which was referenced in our first verses. Um, And so you would think think that what would happen is that um, the Levites would camp around the tabernacle and live there just like they did in the wilderness. But they don't. They don't. And that's I believe, very unexpected. Uh, And I think that it points to something important. This serving and guarding that the Levites were called to do, I believe that God, in spreading them out across all the tribes, was saying, hey, this isn't just physical. This isn't just about the physical realm, but what I'm calling you to do is something spiritual. I want you to spiritually guide my people in worship. I want you to spiritually lead and teach and guard my people and guard the truth of who I am. It was about people's hearts. And so this brings us to our second point of the promises of God. The promises of God must be remembered and proclaimed. They must must be remembered and proclaimed. And so while the text doesn't specify exactly why God did this, um, we get some hints and we see a lot of different things as we look at the context and Um, There's a verse in Deuteronomy 33.10, Moses is blessing the Levites before he dies, before they go into the promised land with Joshua, and he says this, he says, they, the Levites, shall teach Jacob your rules and Israel your law. They shall put incense before you and whole burnt offerings on your altar. And so the Levites' job was to aid the people in worship. It was to guard them and to guard the truth, but it was also to teach them to teach them what God had commanded, and to remind them of his promises, to remind them of all that he had said to them while they were in the wilderness. This is a huge part of why we both come to church and go from church. I believe that you and I need Levites in our lives. This is why we come here. You and I need people who are going to to lead us in worshiping the Lord, people who are going to help us guard the truth, and people who are going to remind us and teach us of what God said and remind us of the goodness of his promises to us. And this is why we go from church, why God spreads us out. You and I are called to be Levites in other people's lives. God has not clustered his people, the church, in one particular Area. He hasn't made a Christian town or a Christian county or a Christian country. God has spread his people to church out across the entire world so that we can lead others in worshiping the Lord, so that we can help people know the truth of who God is, so that we can remind them of what he said and what he promised and who he is. You remember the Great Commission? It says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you, reminding them of what God said and what he promised. I think also part of why God spreads us out is, um, I've heard it said that Christians are kind of like manure. Um, When you spread them out, they help everything grow and flourish. But if you put them in a pile, they just start to stink really bad. That's a bad joke. I'm sorry. I didn't write it. I got it from somebody else. Um, (laughs) But you and I, as a part of God's people now, are Levites, where we live, learn, work, and play. Everywhere people have wrong beliefs about God. They don't know who he is or what he's promised. And so God has spread you and me out across the neighborhoods of this valley so that we could represent him to people, so that we can show them who he is and what he's done, so that we can teach them the, the truth and remind them of what God has promised. It's exciting stuff. That's what we're called to. Well, let's look now at this last section and see if we can tie all this together. Um, the, last, the last three verses of Joshua 21. These, are, um, these three verses are a summary of all that has happened in Joshua so far, and it's almost worshipful. Um, The author is just bringing it all together and reminding us, uh, look, look at what God has done. And so that's these final three verses here, 43 through 45. Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give their fathers, and they took possession of it and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers, Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one of all the good promises that the Lord made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. All came to pass. So this is our third and final point of the promises of God. The promises of God must be believed. They must be believed. That's what we're invited to here in these final verses. These verses are um, a summary that wraps up this section, much like the summary that we had of the last section in chapter 11. Um, Verse 43 looks back on all the land that had been divided up. Verse 44 looks back on all the enemies they had conquered. And, And all three of these verses look all the way back to Abraham. All the way back to Abraham. Notice that it says what God had sworn to their fathers. That's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so here in this chapter, the, the author of Joshua wants us to know that something that began 600 years before is now reaching its completion. It's done. What God has promised has been completed, and it is finished. He did it. He was faithful. Now, maybe, maybe you're sitting here thinking, big whoop. Who cares? Some old guy got what he was promised. Some people in some land thousands of years ago got some stuff. That's cool. What does that have to do with me? What does that have to do with me? Well, the answer is everything. It has everything to do with you. If you're here today and you are not following Jesus, then you need to know that there is a God who keeps his promises. There is a God who keeps his promises. And I would love to invite you today to just check him out, to explore who he is and what he's done. Look at his word and see, see if he has not failed to keep every one of his promises. He's good and he's faithful and he's true. And if you're here today and you are following Jesus, then your entire faith rests on old promises. Your entire faith rests on these old promises. Do you realize that that these people in Joshua were closer in years to Jesus than we are right now? And that you and I are about as far on the timeline of history from Jesus as Abraham was? And just as Abraham took hold of the promises of God and looked forward to a deliverer that would come, who would undo the curse of sin and bring blessing to the entire world. So we take hold of the promises of God and look back on that very same deliverer, Jesus Christ. His promises are true. He's done what he said he would do. And so here in these verses, as we're approaching the end of the book of Joshua, just three more chapters after this, we hear the author crying out, It's true! It's true. God did everything He said. Every word that He said came to pass. Nothing failed. Nothing that He said would happen failed to happen. It all came to pass. It all came to pass. And so, the response that these stories and these verses are inviting from us is just to believe. To believe. To live in the promises of God to rest in the promises of God. There is only one firm foundation on which to build your life. There is only one place to hang your hopes and to rest the full weight of your sin and your failures and your cares and your struggles and your hang-ups. And that firm foundation is the promises of God. Nothing else will last. There is no other foundation. Do you know what the most powerful promise of God is? It's all over the Bible. God speaks it with his own mouth to to Isaac and to Jacob. He speaks it to Moses and to David and to Israel and to his disciples and to you and to me. Five sweet words that change everything. I will be with you. I will be with you. Are you afraid today? And God says, you don't have to be. I will be with you. Are you going through suffering and trials? God says there's purpose in those things. I will be with you. Are you lonely and far from home? God says you're never alone. I will be with you. Are you weary and in need of rest? God says, I am your rest. I'll give you rest. I will be with you. Are you struggling with a relationship or hoping for a relationship or wanting to get out of a relationship? God says, I am love. I am enough for you in that space. I will be with you. Are you struggling to make ends meet? The Lord says, I'm your provider. I'm your helper. I will be with you. Over and over and over throughout the scriptures, God promises his presence more than anything, his presence to all who ask. And I think that we miss the miracle of it because we're so used to it. The first few books of the Bible make clear that God won't live amongst the people who are full of sin. That's you and me. (laughs) But what does he do? Does he ask us to shape up and to fix it ourselves? Not at all. Not at all. He does what he promised. He comes to be with us He steps into our human existence. He comes as a human child. He steps down into the muck and the mire of of what it means to be human. He feels our pain. He experiences our temptations. He takes our sin and our guilt and our shame, and he nails it to the cross, and he buries it in the grave, and then he rises, rises with life for you and for me, and rises with the promise of his presence with us always. He ascends to the Father and he pours out his spirit and says, look, I'm with you always. I want to live in you. And then one day he will bring together heaven and earth. The dwelling place of God will be with man, just like we read in Revelation. And he will be with us. That is his ultimate promise, church. That is good news and that is something to build your life on. He will be with us. That's what we're celebrating here at Christmas, you know. That's what Advent is all about. The word just means coming. God's coming to be with us. In the first song, we sang that Jesus is called Emmanuel. That word means God with us, like he had never been before. God with us, that is what we were made for. That's what we lost in Eden, and that is what this beautiful story of redemption is bringing back. God with us. <clears throat> we also sang that song today, uh, Yes and Amen. Those words are taken from a verse and they're talking about Jesus. It's in 2 Corinthians 1.20. The Apostle Paul writes, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are all yes in Christ. Jesus Christ is the ultimate fulfillment of God's promises. All of the Old Testament... All of God's promises to be with us, all of His justice and mercy, they're all summed up in Christ. He is the ultimate yes to everything that God has told us. He is the ultimate yes to the promises of God. And so the question remains what are you depending on today? What are you leaning on? What are you building your life on? Is it something temporary? something that will one day fade or or die or fail or pass away. Stop living that life. Stop building your life on things that are shaky and uncertain. Build your life on the promises of God. And take note of this. um, When we say the promises of God, we aren't just talking about some random things that somebody promised somebody. Um, I imagine that you might be sitting here and thinking, great, promises. I've broken a ton of promises. People have broken a ton of promises to me. The only promises I know about are empty promises. But what we're saying is not to build your life on some random promises, some, some broken promises of people who are sinful. But we're saying build your life on the promises of God. And when we talk about the promises of God, we mean both who God, what God said and who God is. That's what makes all the difference. When we say the promises of God, we mean both his words and his character. And who he is, his character is so, so good. He is the faithful and the true one. He is the one who has loved you with an everlasting love. He is the kindest and gentlest of masters that you can imagine. He is unpredictable, and he doesn't always come through in the ways that we ask him to or the ways that we expect him to, but he does promise that he will do more than all we ask and more than we imagine. He is the faithful one, and we can trust him. We can trust him. I'll close with this, Hebrews 13.8. The author of Hebrews says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yesterday, today, and forever. And so if he is always the same, then he's the same God today that he was when he came to earth in the form of a baby to embody his promises. He's the same God today that he was when he fulfilled these promises here in Joshua. Joshua. And he's the same God today that he was when he made those promises to Abraham. He's the same, and you can trust him. And if you feel like you can't trust him, then you're in good company. Because all of us struggle with that. All of us struggle with that. There's this beautiful uh, scene in the life of Jesus where this man runs up to him, and he's, uh, he's asking for healing for his son. And Jesus says, well, do you believe? And the man says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I think that's all he asks of us, to believe and to cry out for help with our unbelief. So today, the invitation is to know the promises of God and grab hold of them. To remember the promises of God and to proclaim them to each other. We need to be reminded. And then finally, to believe them, simply to believe to believe God's promises and build your life on them. Who he is and what he said, there is no other foundation. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, there is no one like you. There is no one so faithful, no one so true. Who is like you, O Lord? We stand in awe of you. And Lord, we just confess that we struggle to believe. We struggle to have faith that you're going to do what you've said. We struggle um, to walk by faith when what our eyes are seeing makes it feel impossible that you could be keeping your word. But Lord, we thank you for the testimony of Joshua 21 today, that everything you said came to pass. Not one word failed. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the the testimony of your life, that you were prophesied. It was prophesied that you would come, and and you did. You showed up amongst us. You are now one of us, fully God and fully man. So thank you for loving us so intimately. Lord, I ask for uh, increased faith in my own heart, and I ask for every person here. Lord, wherever we're at in our journey, I pray that you would give us more faith today to believe your promises and to build our lives on them. Lord, we love you and we want to love you more. Thanks for the beauty of your word and the beauty of the story of redemption that we get to celebrate today. We pray this in in your name, Jesus. Amen.